Good evening to each of you. Was that your prayer from your heart? Near, still near, Lord Jesus. I trust that is your beckoning plea from your heart tonight, is that we could ever be so much nearer to Jesus, that he could come to this place and just be in our midst and be in our hearts and be so close to us. It spoke to my heart. Praise be to God. Our memory verse uh, that we go through uh, for this week, or memory verses, they continue to speak to me every time I, I read them. And so, why don't we stand together as we read them together. In Romans 14, verse 17, 18, and 19. Romans 14, verse 17, 18 and 19. Let's read it together. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and the things wherewith one may edify one another. Thank you. You may be seated. This evening, as we think about, um, for he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God. In these things, so evidently, brothers and sisters, that we are called to serve. And without a doubt, there is going to be ways in which we are called to serve. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. In verse uh, 6. Romans 6, chapter 6. Know this. And so that is a note that I want for us to consider for a minute. And that we are to give acknowledgement and we're supposed to be, we are to know this. That our old man is crucified with him, that is with Christ. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, Consider ye also yourself to be dead, indeed unto sin, 
but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, that those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. And may the Lord add the blessing to the reading of his word. This is his word, and I would like for us to consider uh, in, uh, in this passage of scripture, there are numerous uh, times that he talks about knowing. And I praise God tonight that we can and need to know what our standing is in Christ Jesus. That we understand that he died for our sin. And his death and resurrection, that grace and power has and does have the capacity to uh, cleanse our sins. And we must understand that without a shadow of a doubt, that is crucial, that is absolutely important. And so when I think about um, being that vessel in which God calls us to work in and through us. It talks about, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, that we should obey it in the lust thereof. And then it also talks about yielding our members as instruments. And when I think about yielding, that would mean that it is a conscious decision that we make for, uh, to yield our bodies. This doesn't just happen by default. It is by us purposing in our heart to allow uh, our bodies to be an instrument. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but consciously purpose to yield your mem uh, yourself unto God. And so when I think about uh, another verse that, that comes to my mind is in, uh, in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 23. And it says that the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that would mean yielding our bodies, our, our entire being, that it can be preserved holy unto the end. And so sanctify you holy to, to purify us, to, to cleanse us. And I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. And uh, I, uh, without a doubt, you know, to my right here, uh, there's a sketch, and that was not mine. I need to give my wife credit for that, and she did it rather quickly. Mine would be a stick person, and it wouldn't do. So, what I'm looking at is here, my, uh, as, as being instruments in God's hand. And so, our whole body, 
soul and spirit. So we have the mind. Whoop. Mind. And then this is our will. And then this is our emotions. So mind, will, and emotion. And that is, we are made in a triune way. And that is, we are created in the image of God. God as well as a mind, will, and emotion. So in that way, we are created in the image of God. I don't believe that we're created in the image of God in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense. And therefore, we have um, that mind, will, and emotion. And so then, on the outside of this here, we have five senses. We have smell. And that is one of the senses. We have sight. And we have hearing. Well, should start with an H, right? So we have hearing, we have uh, taste, and then we have feelings. And I will make that one a bit bigger, and I'll put it on here twice. So when we think about our makeup, and that is where I believe that God, that God is talking to us about that our whole body, soul, and spirit. And when I think about the inner man and the outer man, I would like for us to consider for a minute that the inner man is our heart. That is our inner man. And then the outer man is obviously all the, you know, the five senses. And when we, we, what we need to do from time to time, and actually all the time, is ask ourselves the question, who is king of our life? Who is dwelling within our heart? Who is king? And when, when, before we are Christians then we have a selfish will as king of our hearts. And that there um, has, is a very selfish kingdom. It is self-centered. And then our senses have free reign and have then the capacity to govern who we are. And all these here five senses want to be fulfilled. Think about it. Our feelings, our hearing, our sight, our smell, our taste, all those want a desire, have a desire for a fulfillment. And if we allow them, they can then reign our hearts. And such like. And that is what it's like before we are Christians. We are totally, can we say, governed by our senses. And nothing is restricting it, rather it's inviting it.
Now when we become Christians, now we are no longer self-willed, but it is the will of God. Now Jesus Christ puts within us the Holy Spirit. And now it is completely reversed. Remember how Apostle Paul, he talks about that I die daily. And that we must mortify the deeds of the flesh. And we must you know, bring all those things onto the altar. Now Jesus Christ is the king of my heart. And now what Paul is saying when he says I die daily, it means that God's will has preeminence in our lives and it is restricting all these senses. They do no longer have free course. They are now under the direction of the Spirit of God. It's completely reversed. But I'm telling you, friends, if we do not allow the Spirit of God to dwell within us, then these five senses will have free course. And once we are Christians, friends, and we have Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have an enemy of our soul. And listen to me very carefully, because I believe this to be accurate and true. The only means that the devil has to try to get into your heart is using the means of the five senses. That's it. There is, that's his way that he's going to try to regain the real estate that he lost when you gave your heart to Jesus Christ. And so therefore it is, uh, it, it, this here helps us to understand when a person is struggling in their spiritual life, there's one of five things that they are dealing with. Not a whole grocery list. Because this is the only avenues that Satan can get used to get in control to affect your, uh, your mind, your emotion, and your heart. It's those five senses. And so you categorize that. And so when you sit with a person and you inquire about what they're dealing with in their lives, you start asking questions about what, what music are you listening to? What are you allowing to get into your heart? What type of people are you listening? What podcasts are you listening to? What information are you allowing to get into your ears to affect your mind, will, and emotion? Or, what are you watching? What are you allowing to see? What is TikTok teaching you? What snaps are you getting? What information are you looking at to allow to affect your mind, will, and emotion? Smell. What are you allowing your senses of your, can we say, about taste and smell together? What are you ingesting in these ways that are affecting your mind, will, and emotion? So what, what, what substances are you taking in that have an effect on your mind, will, and emotion? And 
if, and, and if you go through this, this list, and then what are you allowing to, for your feelings or your senses, or your, your uh, yes, your feelings, what are you allowing those, or what are, what are you engaging in physically that satisfies your passions? What are you, how, how are, what are you doing uh, for your, to satisfy the indulgence of feelings that will affect your mind, will, and emotion? And it's a process you can go through rather, I don't mean, I mean, want to make it sound simple, but that gives you a guide to understand your own life. What am I struggling with? Why do I have a void in my life? Why does Jesus Christ not have that preeminence in my life? Why, do, why is my spirit um, being hindered from living out a joy in the Lord? What is keeping us from doing that? And when I, would th when I think about uh, the mind, will, and emotion, it is a powerful tool that Satan tries to use to bring about his will. And when I think about uh, uh, Romans 7, verses 21 to 25, it says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And that is the illustration that I would like for us to understand. The inner man is where God reigns. The Spirit of God must be within our hearts. And that gives us the capacity to withstand. So when I, when I let's say, I'll just use music. I just am moved by music. I, there is no better way to worship than music in my mind. I just love music. So that has a strong influence in my life. But so does flesh, fleshy or worldly music, ungodly music. You know, just the way it's constructed, it appeals to my flesh. So when I think about hearing music, uh, there's times, well, as you know, I, was, I, was, I wasn't a Christian until I was 28 years old, so there was a lot of music that I listened to that is just absolutely ungodly. And I can walk into a store, and all of a sudden, oh boy, I, yeah, you hear that song in the old flesh. You can just feel that outer man rising itself and just loving it. You know, that outer man just, yeah, it kind of starts moving to, not physically, but in my mind. So then there's a battle. I have to make a decision. 
And that decision has to be to allow the Spirit of God to repel against that and hold that at bay, not allowing it to get inroads. It's already trying, you know, to affect the mind. But now, let's not let it go to the heart. So when I see something, a sight, you know, the Bible talks about he that looketh on a woman and lusteth after her has already committed adultery. So it's not saying, so when, we, when I think about seeing something, sight, so we will see things, but that's not what God is calling adultery. We will see things. And I would like for you to underscore what it says there. He that looketh on a woman and lusteth after her committeth adultery. And that word looketh means ongoing. Any word that ends with E-T-H, looketh, walketh, and those type of things means ongoing. And so many of us we are attracted, all of us, I trust, are attracted to the opposite sex. And so therefore, when we see something attractive, we see it. But now, we must, uh, we must stop at sight and not allow it to enter into your heart. And we have the Spirit of God then to prevent us from look us. We can see, but we man look us. Does it make any sense? That may, that's a significant difference. I have not sinned when I saw, but I have sinned when I continue to look and I start allowing that to make inroads in my heart. And that is where we need the Spirit of God to repel the sight and not allow those things what we see. And we could go on and on. How powerful sight is in our lives. I could take you back when I was a little schoolboy, going to the old dump and finding some very, very filthy literature. And those images, I'm 50 what? What am I, honey? 57, I think, something like that. I, I need to ask her once in a while where I'm at. <laughs> uh, but anyhow, something like, so, so many years later, and those images, if I would think about it as I'm speaking, you know, I can remember. That's how deeply burned into my mind are some of those images. That is how powerful sight is. And so that is, that is why things like uh, uh, Facebook videos and YouTube and uh, TikTok. Oh, I, I'm telling you, some of these images, it, it's just saturated in this uh, sexually oriented atmosphere that we find ourselves. It is sexually saturated. Right? Let's admit it. We live in a very, very uh, sexually saturated society. So why in the world don't you think when we allow those images to enter into my possessions, wouldn't they have an effect on me? It is brutally important that we understand that these things will have an effect. They do on me. And I'm not abnormal. Well, you might think I am. But anyhow, I don't think I am. 
Okay? I'm not abnormal. And I can ask you, the oldest brother in this here room, if sight affects him. And I can assure you, he will say yes. Sight is a very powerful thing. But I praise God that when those images or when, when I get bombarded with those type of images in whatever setting I'm at, I, do, uh, I travel quite a bit, so airports or cities. That, you know, there's so many times I fly into cities, go to a trade show or whatever, I never get out of the city. Well, you're just surrounded with inappropriate stuff, things, right in the trade shows and those different places. I have to guard myself. And then uh, the smell and the senses come into play. Well, there's many companies that have happy hour when you're in a trade show. I'll just use that as an example. Well, they want to treat you. Guess again. This puppy goes back to the motel room at about 4.30 in the afternoon, and that's where I stay. Because all they want to do is titillate my senses and induce me with things that are not of God. And that must be cut off and plugged out. It's got to go. So I'm using these examples for, for youth to consider and to understand. Yes, this old gray-haired I was almost going to call myself a groany, but I stand here behind the pulpit, and you might think that, ha, those days are over for me, and I have no issues. I am telling you, friends, this does not change as long as I am this side of eternity. It will not. And we, as grayheads, have to be honest enough and admitted so that the youth can understand that we are with them and understand their cry, their temptations, and their things they're going through in life. We have to. If we're too proud to admit, pride is devastating. And that causes a barrier between us and our youth. And so let us bind and lock arms and help each other and hold each other accountable to and seek out feelings so when I think about, um, well, I, I, I want to go to a scripture where it says, um, let no one despise you for your youth, but set an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. That's in 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no one despise you for your youth. Don't let anybody speak down onto your youth. That is such an awful thing. And so when I think about youth, and I use that there, this, these uh, five senses as an example, youth have a great awakening in many ways, shapes, and forms. And so when I think about these great awakenings, I think of awakenings of conscience. There's going to be things that you're going to be conscious about that you had never been conscious about before, ever. And so that is a great awakening of a conscience that is to be used by God to guide you in right and wrong. If 
you know, the Apostle Paul said, if it wasn't for the law, he would not have known sin. So if it, wasn't, it isn't for the law, our conscience wouldn't be awakened. But the, the law gives our conscience a great awakening. And when youth come to the age of accountability, then their conscience are awakened. And they become aware of things. And a lot of these things are new. And, and so many, well, all youth, as their conscience are awakened and their accountability, uh, their age of accountability, they come to an understanding. So many new things come along the way. So how, there's another new thing is then, is how do I now make application to what I was taught? First time in their life that they're going to have to make that decision. How do I make this application? How am I going to apply that to my life? Because up till now, their dependence was on their parents, right? And so they were being taught and molded and shaped and, they, and, and such like. Now they're getting to the age where they're, going to, they're an age of accountability. Their choices is going to have to be their choices. And because they're going to have to answer to those choices, they're going to have to give an account for those choices. Not me. That's the dad or mom. No more. It depends on what I teach, of course, that I'm still accountable for what I teach them, but they are now accountable before God for their... So that's new. And let, let us understand, friends, this is the first time that they are at the stage in life where they're at. So when, I, when our oldest son, when he turned 15, I had to sit down with him. And I looked him straight in the eye. And I said, Randy, um, you are at the stage in life where you're going to make choices and decisions, and you have been, but you're going to make more in my absence because you're soon going to be driving and you're going to be much more independent than what you were up till now. And you're going to have to make choices in my absence. I'm not going to be there to make the choices for you. But I, I, I assured him without a shadow of a doubt I said, Randy, you're going to make some bad choices. You're not going to make everything, or you're not going to make all good choices. You are not because you're human. And we, we make bad, bad, bad decisions at times. But when you come home with pie on your face, I am committed unwaveringly to be your dad. No question about it, because this is the first time, my son, that I have a son that is 15. And this is the first time that you have ever been 15. You have never been 15 before. And therefore, you have no ex literally no experience in many of the things that you're going to be faced with. So therefore, I am committed, without a doubt in my mind, to lock arms. And I stood beside him. I put my arm in his. And I said, son, I am committed. Whatever comes along the way, I will be your dad. And that is where we left it. And I did that with, with uh, each of the other children as well. Because, friends, let's remember, let us not expect mature fruit from a little sapling. That is wrong. 
we cannot expect that. When there's just a little, uh, a two-blade corn stalk, Samuel, you can't expect a cob, right? We can't. And that is how we frustrate youth. When their, when their passions arise and their feelings are awakened, and they have never had to deal with some of those awakenings. And yet we expect them just to know them like they've been living it for 20 years. Well, you should know that you shouldn't be feeling that. Pardon? Really? Seriously? That's not true. They've never been here before. So there's uh, new, new beginnings, there's new awakenings, there's passions that awaken in their lives. Their awakening of their sexuality. They become conscious about the opposite gender. And their desires awaken for the other. That is common. And if we as parents aren't teaching those things and then the children are left to follow the natural courses of events because they have no other guidance to direct them and taught being taught so we as parents have to become very candid and very clear in what those passions are all about how they look and what they feel like, and what they are about to do in their lives. And I come from a, from a generation where that was not being done. And my dad made the comment, and please, my, I love my dad. I'm not saying this critically. I'm saying there was a culture where this was not being taught. And his mindset was, and I heard him say it, is that it's not something we're going to have to teach because it takes its natural course. He did, I, and I'm not critically saying that about my dad. Let me ask you a question. If you have a horse and you take the bridle off, what is the natural course that that horse will take? It's devastating. Absolutely devastating. But if you put that harness on, and you have them within the, the confines of those reins, you can teach him, and you can guide him, and you can instruct him. That is the same picture I get about passions that are awakening in youth that have never had these passions in their life. How in the world are they supposed to know what is right and wrong, what is appropriate or inappropriate, if there's no teacher? So our schools, the parochial schools back, were started in the mid-60s. And one of the reasons was because there was sex education coming into the schools. And they didn't want their children to be exposed to sex education other than what they teach or get taught from home. So that's how one of the reasons why parochial schools started, those men, little Mennonite schools. Well, I say that was all fine and dandy, that's all good. But what they failed to do is to teach sex education at home with their children. And so many from that culture have been left to the natural course. And I want to tell you, friends, 
any of these here senses left without the grace and the teachings of God are like a wild beast about to devour whatever comes along the way. Sexually, physically, and emotionally. It's, a, it's important, friends. So parents, I want to encourage you. And youth, I want to encourage you that when these passions are awakened, seek counsel. Because if you are told that you should not feel that way, that is inappropriate counsel. You will experience passions that you have never had passions before. And so parents, or youth, seek out your parents for, for guidance and direction. God created us such, and we as parents may not... Uh, deny that. Rather, we must teach it and give guidance in it. Parents, don't let your children be propelled by the natural currents and, and, and powers. Rather, direct them to Christ and the gospel and allow it to teach and to guide, to hold at bay the fulfillment of the outer man. Because there's these feelings then for youth. They come about and they pursue companionship. That is the natural, that is so natural. It is appropriate, it is proper that they seek out companionship. They look for a relationship. And youth... In that process, I want to give a bit of guidance tonight. In the pursuit of companionship, young men, I want you to look at the young girl of your desire and your, your pursuit and ask, you if ask yourself a few questions about her. What is her relationship with God? Number one. Number two is, what is her relationship with the church? Number three is, what is her relationship with her parents? And then vice versa, ladies, young girls, if there are men or boys that are pursuing your life, ask the same questions deep in your heart. What is his relationship with God? What is his relationship with the church? And what is his relationship with the parents? Because I will guarantee you without a shadow of a doubt, you are going to be the recipient of exactly the same as what his response is to all three of those right then and there. If he despises the church, he has problems with his parents, you're going to be the recipient of those very same attributes coming from her or his life after you're married. No doubt in my mind. There has not been many, if any, people that have escaped those settings and uh, came out at a much different place. Some have. 
But I'm talking attitude. I'm not talking circumstances. I'm talking attitude. It's important that we understand that there are circumstances that are very awful. I'm not saying that those are going to be repeated. I'm talking attitude. If they have a bad attitude towards the church, bad attitude towards their parents, bad attitude towards God, you will be the recipient of that attitude after you're married. It's important that you understand that. And then when you're in a relationship, how should your courtship be, uh, should, should that be? I want for youth especially, and you all, can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 1. So, we'll say now that you established a relationship, you are now dating, and how should you conduct yourself in those times of that relationship? In verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, Now concerning the things whereof ye rode unto me, now listen to this, it is kind of, interesting verbiage here. It is good for a man, an underscore, not to touch a woman. And then it goes on to say, excuse me, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have his own husband. So what this is saying, in short, it is talking about marriage. But I want us to understand that first statement is, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. I'll ask you the question, would it be appropriate for me to touch another woman? And I'm convinced you all would say no. And why? Because I am acting an act outside of marriage. And that is sin. So if that is sin for me as a married person, the youth are not married yet either, so that act is neither conducive for an unmarried person because it's an act outside of marriage. And now you might say, well, what, what do you mean by not touch? Well, I want you to know that you shouldn't use TikTok to figure out how your relationship should be. I can guarantee you. Let's go back to Genesis. All the way back to Genesis. And there, when man fell, or when, when Adam and Eve fell, they discovered they were naked, and they were afraid. And they hid in the garden. And then there was a voice. Noah, not Noah. <laughs> Adam, I must be getting tired. Adam, where are you? So he was hiding. Why was he hiding? Well, as a result, because of shame and fear. And so they quickly put themselves together, some aprons. Well, you know that those aprons didn't cover the body entirely. So a number of verses later, God, listen to this, God 
made a cover for them, called a garment. And this is important that you understand this. So God gave a garment. God made a garment because the apron wasn't enough. And there's many in society, TikTok and all, wants to show you that even the aprons are a bit big nowadays. That is ungodly, without a doubt. So because God goes and gives Adam and Eve a garment, and the garment is from the neck to around knee mid-calf, something like that. That is a garment. And that is what God made for them. Why? Why did God give a garment from the neck down and the entire body was covered? Why did God do that? Was it for just for sight? Okay, I, I'll agree with you. It was because it was a shame to uncover all that. And so now he gave them a garment to cover, to keep that undercover. But not only for sight, because the eyes, yes, they are sensational. What we see are sensational and has an effect on what we, on how we respond. But I want to ask you the question, are your hands also sensational? Yes, they are. If not, you should go to a doctor. I'm serious. So, what God has covered is not meant to tamper with in any way, shape, or form outside of marriage. And it is good for a man not to touch a woman. What God has covered, that is to be covered for both eyes or anything that affects the sensational capacity of our body. And that is both touch and look. And the pictures that I see of dating couples on each other is like, listen to me, there is no way possible that that man can have pure feelings and pure heart when there's a woman that has her arms around him like an octopus. Not a chance. Not a chance. There is no, and if you do, you should also go to a doctor. I'm dead serious. And that is why the Bible says it is good for a man not to touch a woman. If you can be touched by the opposite sex and not awaken your passions, well, I'm not that dumb, okay? It's not just, no, it's not possible. That is why these five senses are the only way that the devil is going to try to awaken a passion within you that you potentially can't control. And I want to assure you, these passions are powerful. More powerful than any man or woman that is sitting in the audience here tonight. 
There isn't one that can control their passions absent of supernatural grace from God. Amen? Why do you think an inexperienced youth would be able to do what we as adults are saying we can't even do? We have to be serious about this. And parents, we must teach. And let's follow God's example. Oh my. For those whom he have foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We want to be conformed in the image of God. And we have to take care of our physical appearance. Yes, we have to have good hygiene. There is no question about it. But I want to tell you, friends, there is so much emphasis on, uh, can I say, the cosmetic world today and dress. And I don't know, I think most... Most anything from shoes to dresses to uh, cosmetics, all and I'm uh, and uh, without an exception, most no no uh, most if not all have a tenor within them to appeal to the flesh. Why do ladies walk around with high-heeled shoes that are, you know? so awkwardly high that they stumble when the wind blows the wrong direction. And I know that's humorous, but I, I, I saw a site one, anyhow, I won't go there. Uh, those shoes are designed to cause the women to walk in a certain way to attract the appeal of the opposite sex. So if your church is saying and has limits on shoes, <laughs> there's reasons behind it. Okay, I don't, I don't know what your, what your practice is. I have no idea. But Hollywood has done a phenomenal job in advertising its goods and has brought many people into bondage of the laws of Hollywood. It's an awful thing. If you think your church has rules and regulations that are frustrating you, join the Hollywood crew. You will only see the, uh, your, church in, or your church guidelines are going to look minute compared to the laws that Hollywood is telling you you need to be and do in order to be suffice for them. And they're trying to impose those ideas into the lives of many people. And that is why uh, uh, feelings, you know, I hear people that say, I, I, I want to feel good when I wear this. Okay, fine, I do too. <laughs> um, so feelings and uh, sight. What, how, are we, how are we conducting our lives? Are we allowing Hollywood to determine how, what is, cool? Do we, do we use Hollywood to decide what 
hairstyle we have? Do you understand? Who's telling us what is cool? Who's telling us what is, uh, yeah, uh, the right thing to wear that is kind of attractive? Who's governing that? Hollywood is demonic to the core, and I'm going to say this with emphasis. There isn't, or sorry, most movies that are made, the performers that, are, not the performers, the, uh, the people that, that are, are responsible for it, many, many movies, not all, many, many movies are willfully brought under the sanction of, of dark powers to allow them to bring about what its intent is. And the producers aren't even ashamed to tell you that's what they do. And I don't want you guys to go to do that research because that's a very dark side in life. But that is the truth. So, I was in Haiti not long ago. And so before I went to Haiti, I did the research on the origin of Haiti. And to really condense this whole thing, Haiti um, is voodoo, is, is what their primary religion is, and that's demonic. And here I find out in the process of, of, uh, of doing research on Haiti, is they're saying modern day rappers, and you know what I mean about rap music, modern day rappers, most of the rappers, want a Haitian on their band because that gives them direct access to the dark side. They're not even ashamed to tell you this. So my friends, I am saying without a doubt, those five senses are, in, are, are the only way that Satan is trying to get into your life. It's his only means that he can. But my oh my, is it ever attractive? And more attractive, can I say, for young Christians. Because they're called to become out from among them and be separate. Who saith who? The Lord. The Lord. Amen. It's not Willis standing here. Okay, now you got to get out. No, no. It is says, come ye out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And that is the reason why. Because we cannot hold hands with it and think that we can be separate with it. Amen? So therefore we must come out from among them and that is the call for a young Christian to do. And they have to work their way through understanding that why it is that we're called to come out from among them. Again, they've never had that experience before in their lives, did they? Or did they? No, they didn't. This is the first time I'm 57 for Christ, or 58, I think, no, any, something like that. This is the first time I'm here. I've never been here before. I've never had 11 grandchildren in my life. So these are all new things for me. And the youth, the same thing. They've, they're facing so many things that they need to understand. Why are we saying the things we're saying? Why are we teaching what to avoid and what not to do in their lives? That is why. Because there is attachments from and, and the, and the, the Hollywood world, the uh, cosmetic world, the, uh, the entire world, if I can say that, 
The world system is geared towards catering to every single solitary one of them. Mark it down. There's billions and billions and billions of dollars every year catered precisely to it. They're successful. But God says we're supposed to get called out from that and be separate. How are we doing? And so that is the illustration that I would like for us to consider tonight. And then what we read in the scriptures is saying that in, uh, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, 6, is that what we read? Yes. Purge out their... No, actually, it's us. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7 says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that they may be new lump, and ye are un unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And you know, and, and when we go back to Romans chapter 6, I believe is where we were. And that is why it says, Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. And lust, all that is, is an, an expression of passion. Passion lived out. That is lust. And let that not be among us. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So for the youth, bless you as you are with God's wisdom and discernment in your early stages as you make choices. Because your choices today will have an impact for the rest of your life. And I want to, right on the heels of that, parents, I, I get goosebumps. Parents, please, teach with love. Don't expect fruit from a two-leaf corn plant. But teach, nourish, guide so that your children, your youth can be fruitful for God. Don't smother them. Don't, oh, that, you shouldn't do that. Well, that, two, that, that poor two-leaf plant is so tender. And too many slam dunks will break the stem. And it will not bring forth fruit. God in his goodness and his grace has been teaching us in his divine word because we're in need of it. Parents, your youth need your teaching, not your slam dunks. This is the first time that they are a youth. Don't Blow it. Youth, be good listeners to godly teachers. And like the children that I shared, the story I shared with the children, 
you don't need to explore everything before you need to, or the, so that you know what it's about. You can be taught and avoid the bite of the alligator. Be good attentive listeners and followers of truth. Allow the Spirit of God to have preeminence in your life and it will affect your mind, will, and emotion for God. Let's pray. Eternal God, we stand before you tonight understanding there's so much more. But I pray, Father, that what has been shared, that your blessing could rest upon it and hearts that have received that you could bless them nourish them encourage them empower them I pray for each parent here I pray that you would endow them with abundance a manifold grace of God and just empower them with love grace wisdom and a passion for truth. Lord, I commit all to you and I pray for each of the youth here. Bless them in their tender years. Bless them as they begin their journey in life. And I pray God that each one could make a decision for you and allow your grace to empower them to make choices that are honoring to you. And I pray that you would empower them to give grace to withstand the wiles of the devil that want to invade through those five senses, dear God. I pray that you would shield them, shelter them, and grant them grace. We love them. They are such a vital part of the church. And so, Lord, we lift each of the youth to you. And so dismiss us now, Lord, with your blessing. Guide us with your grace and keep us in your care. Through Christ we pray. Amen.